Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip addresses questions, principles, and money myths, such as, if I could afford to buy whatever, I'd be happy. The serious money bucket versus the home run money bucket. The problem with the traditional 60-40 investment portfolio. How to calculate the odds with options. Plus, an in-depth interview with business strategist Terry Chantel. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. We are back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. Hey, and and look, y'all got an announcement to make. I made it on the other podcast, uh, the uh, the one that requires a explicit disclaimer because of the language on the podcast, the Black Dash Club. Uh, so so if you so if you don't want to um, if you don't want to hear any bad language, don't listen to that one. But if you want to hear some cool, some cool ideas, uh, and just some real thoughts from from dads, uh, check that out. I'm plugging that. But no, so I announced it there, but I'm announced it here. Uh, I have a Muay Thai pre amateur fight coming up October third, so I'm in super training mode. Uh, I haven't trained this hard in a long time. As a matter of fact, I've dropped probably. For those who care. I started, I was like 182 at one point this year. I'm like at 165. I haven't been 165 since I was in um, like high school, like re- really freshman year of college when I was buff. So I'm excited about that. So yeah, I'll be talking about, I'll be talking about the training and, and the fight week to week building up to it four weeks away, I'm almost exactly four weeks away. This is uh, Terry Chantel. Internet business, con, you know, it, I don't even know what to call you because you're just like a guru. Business that, strategist. You're, 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 you're a guru on all things internet. If I if I ever have a question on like marketing on the internet or what to do or how to do it or or, or even like just navigating who's for real and who's not uh, on the internet, I talk to Terry, and so she's gonna come give us our, her expertise on the internet. But so let me go back to it. So we we were talking offline about like making money on the internet because as you know. Um, there's a lot of people that have a lot of followings on the internet that are not making money. And then there's people that have like five followers and they're making like millions of dollars a year, you know, on the internet. And so, um, you know, what are your thoughts or, or, you know, how do you actually make money on the internet without, uh, like, yeah, just how do you make money on the mm-hmm. internet for real, like right. real money, not just followers? Right. Well, the thing about making any type of money is having something great to sell that gets people results or fulfills a desire. And it all starts there. And once you have a great offer, really the internet is just something you're leveraging to get that in front of more people and to scale whatever it is that you are doing. It's a leverage. It's a tool to sell something that you have amazing and and you should be able to do that on or offline. Now, there are some business models that 100% rely on the internet, right? If you are leveraging your personality, 
and the attention, that skill set, because that is indeed a skill set to be able to get attention and influence people. That's something of value if you know how to do that in a strategic way. Some people have built great careers off of simply being entertaining, right? But still, their creativity is their entity, their IP, their ability to formulate, whether it's captions, funny videos, or anything. That's that's still an offer. That's something of value. I can entertain people. I can collect a group of people that pay attention to me, that follow me. And as a way of leveraging that, I need to spin that off into products or shows or ticket sales and things like that. So it all starts with something of value to offer people, whether it's solving a problem or fulfilling some type of desire, even if that desire is just to laugh. The Internet is just a vessel in how you scale that, flip that and leverage that to money in the bank. So an example of that would be like uh, Spice Adams or or. Do you, you know who Super is. I know you know. I know you know who mm-hmm. Super is, right? That's she from your hometown. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah th- th- those would be two examples of folks that have built big audiences and made money doing it. Mm-hmm. But she didn't build her money per se off of the audience. She built her money off of the things she figured out how to sell to her audience. It still went back to having something that people want. She built. You know, you have to give her her props. Mm-hmm. She built an amazing brand, but I guarantee you it didn't turn into money until people were willing to pay her to show up to their business spot or, you know, when they have the nightclubs and they want the nightclub to look like it's popping. So they want big names to be up in there, you know, so they pay them for appearances every, you know, a million people know her on the internet, want to pay her to come at my nightclub. But beyond that, she built a makeup business. Mm. And the type of audience that she attracted loves to wear makeup, young, vibrant, young women that have a life of having a good time. They all wear makeup. So she picked the perfect business to have an offer to sell to the audience that it doesn't turn into money until you sell them something, period, point blank. And that's where people miss the mark is there's an inconsistency or there isn't a strategy to the audience that they are building and they don't know what to sell to them. They don't know what they like. They don't know how to put the right offer in front of the right audience so that all of that attention grabbing content actually yields to some type of results. And I don't care who it is, whether it's jumping off of a building into slime, if they know how to make you subscribe to watch that, (laughs) then they're doing something right. Simple, you know, and, and people like to shade people that put a lot of energy into the internet. But real can recognize real. You, if there's a buy button somewhere that that person has, they're making money. Mm-hmm. They're making money if it's the right offer. And, and, and so let's talk about how to how to build it right. And we can and we can stick with all right. Well, we can pick multiple businesses, but um, I think we're. Before I go here, let me clarify different ways. So, so we got build a brand, sell some stuff, or have sponsorships. What what are other ways people are using the internet to to to, to make money? Well, I have a professional background, so I can speak a lot from that perspective. You have influencers, what we just covered, but you also have just regular everyday folks. We're not entertaining people. We're solving their problems. We're adding value to their lives, and we're we're a benefit in some form or fashion. You're using the internet to let people know 
amazing information about finances. But on top of that, you also have something to offer so that all of this strategically makes sense. I'm not so professionals that have an expertise. You have something that you can actually give to the world or make an impact in someone's life. Those are the people that can use the internet to really leverage getting their name out there, their service out there, their business out there in a much easier way, I think, in a much easier way than it used to be back in the day when everything was offline. Because I do come from the old school building a business time frame where I built my business and my brand without the internet at all. And so I can speak from both sides in saying that there is a, a quickness and a scalability that you have with the internet that you may not necessarily have offline. And you can attribute that to sometimes personality types. Some of us are better doing things at the internet and making things spread on, over the internet versus going shaking hands and having coffee chats with people sometimes, you know? And then sometimes it's just a matter of not being aware of how to use the internet correctly. But if Based on what your business is, you just have to figure out where you need to plant your feet, where you need to focus, what platform you need to be on, and then get in front of the people who want what you have and just align your strategy with the goal of getting leads into your business. And you just start there. You know, it just depends on what you're selling and who you're selling to. So, so let me ask this question because I, 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 and, and I'm so. I, I do believe that to be a Spice Adams or a Super, it's a different talent, right? You know, I know, mm-hmm. I, know I know I don't have it, and a lot of folks don't have it because it's a similar talent, you know, as being like a you know, actor or star in the in the in the old tra- tra- traditional way. You got to be entertaining, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's and that's a God giving gift, and then a gift that you have to refine and work on to get better over time. But um, uh, selling stuff or like you said professional services people that have businesses on over the internet do you do you think just like because when we're because i built a business offline too right and i and i'm like all right even if you're not a good salesman naturally which i never was um i used to people you can you can make money selling stuff you just it's just you just got to find you got to follow this 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 formula right make the call show up see people be consistent do what you say you're going to do, have a good product or service, of course, right? Is, is there a formula for um, doing that online, you know, online too? Or do you think that anybody can build a business using the internet, like you said, as a tool without having oh, yeah. to have a special quote unquote talent? Oh, definitely. You don't have to be, you know, an entertainer and, and getting on video every other day showing people, you know, your life behind the scenes in order to be able to garner that energy. It's simple. There's a formula to offline marketing, right? You know, where whether it's get a business card, walk up to someone, shake their hand, don't talk about yourself, talk, you know, give them, ask them questions about themselves, so on and so forth. You have a way that you go about marketing offline. The thing about the internet is you just have to figure out what is that same formula for me online. And it usually com- involves the same aspects for everyone, which is One, establishing yourself as an expert, meaning let people know that you know what you're talking about. Make me care to listen to you, right? I don't care about your life and who you are. I care about what do you know that benefits me? That's business in general, offline and online. On the internet, what that looks like is giving valuable information within the industry that you are in, 
posting content that establishes you as a thought leader, whether it's establishing your opinion or what you think about things, not just giving tips like, did you know that you can get this type of 401k? But also, you know, I believe this is my stance on this type of strategy, right? Establishing yourself as a thought leader makes people look at you in a way where you're someone to follow. You have a strong stance within your industry and it fosters that perspective of looking at you or that perception that, okay, he's a leader and he knows what he's talking about and he's serious. And then posting that type of valuable content, establishing yourself as a leader are two of the most important pieces of content. And, and I believe that that in itself, just being your natural self, you know, being authentic, and making people care by just talking about things that they care about and at the same time is also positioning you to be that guy for that subject matter, that has an organic energy that attracts people to want to do business with you because people do business with people, not businesses mm -hmm. at the end of the day, especially when it's things like this with finances and money. I was able to build a brand basically with those two types of pieces of content. And people from all over the U.S., I had a tax accounting firm. I needed your driver's license. I needed your date of birth. All of your, a copy of the social security card for all of your kids. I really needed you to trust me and get to know me. I basically needed a, a identity theft 101 kit <laughs> from you. I needed everything that I could, that I could use to really ruin your life, right? So how can I get people who have never met me in person to trust me with that sensitive information, to know how much you're really making behind the scenes, right? I had to figure out the same thing that I do in person when they meet me. How do I just do that on the internet? How do I give them that same information, that same feel, that same trust, and that same warm warmness? And so for me, it was it was video, but and but it's also I don't really do video as much. Just posting content, just opening up your mouth and talking about those things. And, and building the strategy with that in mind. Let me just talk about what they know, you know? And once you do that, it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard. If I wanted my, I knew that I wanted business clients, I wasn't going to get up there and talk about things that non-business owners aren't interested in. You know, I'm not going to talk about the earning the income credit, right? Business owners, we don't, they don't qualify for that. <laughs> the, the ones that I, that I was going for. So why show up? talking about content that would make them feel like, okay, no, she's probably not used to working with my caliber of situation. So it's just really packaging your normal self in captions and posts. It's really that simple. And, and then, and then you also said something, something interesting too, um, you know, offline, right? So, so you have, you, you know, you have the, again, brand building business where you're, you know, building a big audience and maybe you're not selling a lot of high price stuff or, you know, being sponsored for high price stuff. Um, but, but then if you're like a professional service, talk, talk a bit more about the importance of like pricing, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're not building a, you know, million Instagram followers on the internet. Definitely. Well, you definitely have to, if you want to make your time worthy on the internet, you're an expert. You have a proven skill set to get results for someone, meaning you know all about nonprofits. You know all about uh, you're a financial advisor. You're a CPA. 
you can take someone from A all the way to Z in a certain area, right? That's valuable. And when you have a skill set like that, people need to charge appropriately, appropriately for it so that the energy that they put into acquiring that person as a client just makes sense. And you're going to do that much quicker with a more premium price as a service-based entrepreneur that's trying to utilize the internet, charging four figures off, off, off the top. Because if you don't do that, if you try to spend your time collecting a lot of clients where you're charging a hundred bucks and your goal that, that you need to really have a comfortable life is 5k a month, 10k a month. Do you really have the energy, the mental capacity to serve a bunch of hundred dollar people mm-hmm. to get you there? Right. Or you can say, I'm going to, I'm going to create something amazing that I can package up and sell for 5k. And my goal is just to get two clients a month. That's so much easier. And that is the biggest as a service provider, a lot of the times, and, and here's this is why I think that it's an issue. Coming from corporate America, your your view of what a lot of money is 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 skewed because everyone is trying to get for the trying to fight for the glorious six figures a year, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you're super happy if you got like a five k bonus or a ten k bonus after after all of the work all year you get this one five ten k bonus in December right <laughs> or, or 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 more and you're like yeah and everybody is happy about that number they're happy about I make at least six figures a year and I get this you know this four to five figure bonus a year so your idea of what's a lot of money and your idea, there's two things that happen. One, usually in corporate America, you're working a lot of hours and you're giving so much of yourself. So you're in an atmosphere where you have to trade a lot of hours and a lot of hard work for a certain amount of money and it's normalized. So you associate super hard work with a lot of money. In the entrepreneurial world, it's the opposite. Once you flip your mindset and you realize, man, I can work a small amount of money a small amount of hours for a lot of money. Like it's really, I don't have to work that hard. I don't have to work 60 hours a week and my goals are just 100K for the year. In the entrepreneurial world, we're shooting for six-figure months. It's a completely different ball game. You know, your goals go from how can I make six figures a month working about 40 hours a month? Mm-hmm. Not <laughs> how can, you know, it, it's a completely different. And when you realize that, that one, it's doable, it's possible, and it's easy, then you have the confidence and the boldness to say, you know what, in order for that to happen, I have to just with boldness and clarity, A, create something amazing, B, charge for it, and C, not be afraid to put myself out there and only focus on getting the attention that actually moves the needle in my business. When you get those three things down, you will find that making six figures a month, the road to that is actually, in my opinion, easier than the road to six figures a year with the other mindset. I truly believe that. I hands down. No, that 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 makes complete sense. And 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 would you say that also applies to like, let's say, the the the, the realtor or the 
I'm trying to think of other businesses. Of course, it's for the attorney because they charge a fee and the CPA. But, like, I mean, you can also apply it to, like, the realtor, right, saying, hey, I don't have a million followers, but, you know, I have in my mind the types of houses I want to sell, right? I want to sell, you know, houses mm-hmm. that pay me five grand, right, whatever size house that is. You can, you can apply that, too, if you're mm-hmm. – okay. Well, you, you can apply that because it's all about your business model. If you set your profit goal, instead of saying how much can I work, how many clients can I acquire, if you say my goal is to make 20K a month and you work your way backwards, it, it can if you work your way backwards from there, like what's the easiest way to get to 20K a month, right? Well, the easiest way to get to 20K a month is what if I created something so big where it was 20K it was just all I need was one client to pay me 20K. For a lot of people, right, I have a bunch of friends that have 20K, 30K offers that people are rolling into multiple times a week, right? Mm. So, but for so many people, that's unimagin- un- unimaginable, right? What can I do for a 20K? <laughs> like, what? But if you, and, and remember, I'm talking about people that have a proven expertise, right? Mm-hmm. That there, there are, in the contract world, when you're getting like corporate contracts or even being a speaker, it doesn't even have to be something as, as glorious of a profession as a lawyer or a realtor. You can be a motivational speaker and say that I'm going to focus on speaking in all of the school districts, right? I, I know all about mental health. And you do the work and you understand that there is actually money out there where they, they are bringing people to either train the staff train the employees, train the teachers. I'm sure all of us have or remember those times if we worked in corporate America where there were company-wide trainings that they made us attend, right? Those people that come in and do those, that could have been a 50K contract to come in and train their employees for two days. Mm. You know, it's just once you start thinking bigger, you'll realize that it's actually more possible than what you think. It's really not that hard because they're looking for you. Because the thing is, when it comes to a service provider, you're an expert. And what that means is you have the ability to literally transform someone's situation. You have the ability to be a part of their story, that you were the turning point that empowered them to do X, Y, Z in their life. You were the person that set me up so that I could retire in 20 years. You were the person that helped me start my nonprofit. And and because of you, I got all of these grants and I made this impact in the world. Like that is valuable. And there aren't a lot of people that really know how to package that value and present it to the right people so that they get appropriately compensated for that. It's a whole different world than trying to let me just do this one thing for you for $500. But it, but the people that can do that are more than qualified to do it at a bigger level. They just need to believe that they can and find the strategy to get there. That, 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 that is awesome. And I think this is a timely message when we're in a situation where uh, everybody's rethinking their life because of COVID and, and their business and, and everybody's afraid that some jobs are not coming back, but I'm like, who cares? There's so many mm-hmm. ways to make money on the internet, like you said. Um, and as you were talking, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we all know that, for lack of a better word, the traditional college education is like BS as far as like what what you pay for what you get on average. Um, and so, you know, you're, you know, um, 
this is this is a whole new way mm-hmm. um, to to make money in the arbitrage, but helping you know helping people get the information they need or expertise they need uh, from you who might be the expert and people people will pay for it because you know if I paid all this crazy money for college that I'm still paying off right now mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that mm-hmm. that, ha- mm-hmm. that you know that doesn't have a whole lot of correlation with how I'm, I I guess I was a finance major yeah. but yeah. but I definitely overpaid for it right uh-huh. P- people will pay you ten grand to. For your expertise and that's the thing about mindset philip is that we're so conditioned and normalized we're willing to go into 30 40 50 day of debt for college mm-hmm. but won't pay a specialist 5k to teach us how to change our lives that that's people are like wait a minute hold up are you you know it's like you have to shift out of that you have to shift out of that and because people themselves I think sometimes one of the hangups of people charging a more premium price is because it's hard to charge what you know you personally aren't willing to pay for something, mm. right? You know, when you aren't, you, you can't be the person that if Philip comes and says, listen, I can set you up to meet your financial goals for X, Y, Z, and it's going to cost you this four-figure investment. If you have the type of mind frame to try to figure it out on your own because that's just too much money, then you're not going to be the person that also sees your own wealth, your own worth, your own value, and put together a four-figure package yourself mm. for what it is that you're able to do. So a lot of the shifting into this type of dimension of execution when it comes to the biz- business and leveraging the internet to go along with it, a lot of it is really some internal mindset shifts. I always say before every external shift, there's an internal shift. And when you shift to that dimension of higher uh, thinking when it turn when it comes to the value of expertise and what you can charge for it, you'll find that the people that already operate in that space, they're 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 givers. Mm-hmm. They don't mind. They're they're givers with their time. They're givers with their information. They're givers with they don't mind paying a premium for anything that they need if it's going to get the job done. And I personally, in my, in my, in my entrepreneurial world, my, my close girlfriends and um, associates where that we're all within this same area of, of price point, these aren't lawyers. Well, some of them are lawyers. No, no, none of them are lawyers and things like that. These are things like copywriters, that charge you 5000 just to write one sales page. But that sales page is going to speak to your clients so well, whatever you're selling, that it, it helped your conversion rate that, that you know, 50% of the people that read it are going to buy that thing that you're offering, right? Hmm. So I'm, I'm not, t- or if you want to retain them, it's, it's, it's 10K just for the whole project. So I'm ta- it's not even, you know, I'm not even talking about lawyers and, Honestly, I will be real with you. I, a lot of the entrepreneurs that are doing things that are less glorious make more money than some of the doctors and people that I know and lawyers that I know. And I know that from doing taxes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I know that from doing taxes for 14 years. I know how much they're working to make that money, you know? Um, and you have women out here who are just experts at sales and, can, and executives. They're getting contracts six-figure contracts to go in and either train the executives, the, the, the C-suite people on the mindset 
in mental health that they need to perform at their level. The people at these higher levels, I, it's always, um, and I don't want to go on a rant here, but it's so amazing to me when I, the more, I, I know a lot of business strategists and coaches that have these little pockets of expertise. And to see what they they focus on and the people that pay them, it really pulls the curtain back and allows you to see that the highest performers and successful people, they hire an expert to help them in every single area of their life. One of my, her name is Jenna Dyson. She gets high, close to six-figure contracts or close to six-figure contracts. And you know what their focus is? Corporations hire her for mental health. Mm. She literally goes, that's what she does. You can look her up. That's what she does. They hire her to help with mental and mental stamina as it relates to mental health so they can continue to be high performers. And these are, these are the C-suite people, right? You'll be surprised. Um, people that are expert at just sales calls sales calls, right? Because the value of that, it's it's the type of expertise that once you teach me that, I'm going to reap the benefit of this for years to come. So I can't just only because it takes me a week to give you the game, I can't just charge you off of that week. I have to charge you off of the years of benefit you're going to get. So hmm. it's, 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 it's a big world out there. No, yeah, that's... You know, we, we I'm gonna schedule another one because because we haven't even gotten to the, the 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 meat of it. But basically, y'all, this is this is what Terry does. Terry helps people package up, well, discover their expertise, and package it up and charge appropriately so that they can so they can make lots of money and mm-hmm. not that much time. And so, if if somebody's interested in you know hiring you or learning more about you, what's the best way for people to check out your stuff? Just go to my website, terrychantel.com, T-E-R-R-I-E-C-H-A-N-T-E-L. And my program is launching in about six weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing. I, I definitely appreciate it. No problem. But let's get into these questions. So here's the first money myth. If I could afford to buy whatever, I'd be happy. This is a big myth. I am... Blessed to see people of all different financial walks of life, people that have lots of money, people that don't have that much money. And and what you find is money, you know, having more money, you know, maybe if you go from making X amount to X amount or when you first get a big windfall of money, you might have a little bit of excitement, but it, it wears off pretty quickly. It, it's kind of like, you know, if you... If you've bought a couple of homes, right, and, and, and you've been blessed to have one that's a little bit bigger than the one that you had before, you're like, all right, when you're buying it, you're excited about it, but then you just forget about it. You're like, I mean, yeah, it's bigger, but it that excitement doesn't really, like, last. You just, as a matter of fact, you, you forget, and, and so that happens with all new purchases of things that you say, oh man, if, if we just had this, I would be happy. Or if I just had that, I would be happy. As a ma- And my wife and I talk about this, you know, we were like, like we, you know, we have lots of happy moments, but we had a, we had a lot of happy moments in the beginning when we were living in an apartment with no money, <laughs> you know, super, super insecure, you know, financially. But, but those are some really good 
memories as well. And so happiness doesn't come from having things or being able to spend money on things or even the quote unquote freedom, you know, to do to do more things. Right. I'm not saying freedom is not important. Freedom is important. But I'm saying if you're looking for money to make you happy, you're going to be sorely disappointed because happiness comes from within. It comes from, you know, living the life that you want. It comes from growing. And really, it comes from loved ones. If you, if I don't know about you, but when I think about my happiest times, it's it's being with people that that I care about and having good memories and looking back and, 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 and having really good times with those people. And so don't don't confuse, you know, planning and trying to get more money for freedom with that actually making you happy in the future because it won't. Ask somebody with money. Next principle. Serious money bucket versus the home run money bucket. I'm going to define these and then I'm going to preface it and then I'm going to talk about like what they are, right? So, or, or how to use them. So serious money bucket is think about money that you're going to need in the future for financial security in the future. So this is going to be mostly money that you're saving for retirement. It doesn't have to be in a retirement account. It can be in a broker's account. It could be an IRA or whatever. It doesn't really matter the account. It's just in your financial plan, you're going to say, hey, at the latest, right, maybe it's a 65, maybe it's a 70, at the latest, I want to have X amount of money coming in per month from from my investment at this age. And so all the money you're saving towards that is your serious money bucket. And, and you want to make sure that you're saving enough money in that bucket really before you start getting fancy with your investments. But but once you get that bucket established and you're on track for what you need to do, then you may have a home run bucket where you're like, all right, investments that I make in this bucket are like my lotto tickets where I know and all my lose it all, but I'm trying to be financially independent like fast, right? I want to 10 times my money in a short period of time, potentially, in this bucket. So this is, you know, I'll have people who will have their own stocks or they'll try to do some super risky investments or people who do venture capital investments or invest in uh, real estate projects, risky real estate projects that they don't control and operate. But that's this is the, the and home run bucket can also be your business and things that you operate, which can still get you a home run, but it's a more highly probable home run than, than investing outside in somebody else's crazy venture. But th- but those are the two the two buckets that people have, and sometimes I know a lot of times I'll talk to somebody, and and typically I don't you know I don't want to make an overgeneralization, but typically. It's the young, you know, I'll call them 35-year-old, 38-year-old that's making a bunch of money and they hang around some friends that may have a really good net worth because they invested in, they basically got a lot of ticket early and they're like, all right, with with my money, I want to take, they, they take all their money and they try to do all home runs with it. And I'm like, listen, you make a lot of money. If you just put 20% of your income back into the boring, serious money bucket, then you know, okay, I'm going to be wealthy at some point in time, really wealthy at some point in time in the future, and then just do lotto tickets with everything else. Do everything else you want to do in the home run bucket. But since you make so much and you're good at what you do, just focus on keep growing that income, put 20% back, and then do the rest in the home run bucket. Because what they don't realize is 
you know, I meet a lot of 60-year-olds or 50-year-olds who tell me what they used to be worth, you know, when they were in their young punk days making a lot of money. And they and they did what these particular people I'm telling you about. They put their entire balance sheet betting the home runs. And what they don't realize is a lot of these lotto tickets are luck. You know, a lot of these people that hit hit the, hit the lotto ticket early on, you know, they're, you know, uh, I'm not saying they're not smart or talented, but when you do it early on, a lot of it is just luck. You know, and a lot of people who do it will tell you, yeah, it's, partly it's just luck. So you got you got to take the risk to be able to get the luck. But and then once you hit, you know, once you get a lot of money, and you get lucky. You get lots of easier opportunities that come that come your way. But a lot of it is luck. And so I'm like, hey, if you go ahead and take 10, 15, 20 percent of your income, put it back into the serious money bucket. You don't have to be lucky to make money in that bucket historically because you can compound money consistently, maybe at a lower rate of return than you like, and be rich in the future one day, right? And then again, play that lotto with a little bit of less money. So that's just that's that's why I wanted to put this on here because just so many people misuse the buckets. They they try to bet too much money on home run. And there's a few people that don't have any money, don't make a lot of money. And and out of desperation, they only want to do home runs. And so just don't let the greed monster blow up your balance sheet in the future. All righty. Next principle. The problem with the traditional 640 investment portfolio. So what's the 60-40? That's that's the typical 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you know, moderate portfolio that a lot of people will, as they're close to their retirement or they're in retirement, that a lot of advisors advise having that portfolio through retirement. And so historically, that portfolio, you know, last 70 years has done well. And, 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 a, and uh, not 70 years, let me do my math, right? About 50 years, right? Since the 70s to now, that portfolio has tested well. And even even before then, it's tested well. Maybe it is 70 years then because I'm thinking about some research that I saw. Here's the point. Historically, that portfolio has done uh, really well, but the, the the difference in that time period was interest rates at the beginning of that time period were not basically zero around the world. And so if you think about a 60-40 portfolio, the bonds gave a higher return because interest rates were higher, right? Bond, there's a correlation between bond returns and bond interest rates, right? They're very correlated in their, you know, if if bonds are paying, you know, 8% at the beginning of a 10-year period, then your return is probably going to be really close to 8% at the end of that 10-year period. And so so we're in a situation now where they're basically about zero around the world, which is saying, hey, bonds are not going to make any money over the future. And if you think about the future, the the 10 years from now, bond interest rates, if, if they if they don't earn any return, like if they say, okay, they just stay at zero and you don't earn anything, that's kind of one scenario. But another scenario is what if, what if interest rates go up? When, when, interest, when interest rates go up, bonds go down. And the Fed literally just said, uh, we're going to target higher inflation than normal. Like they're going to, that's how they get out of this. You can listen to previous episodes about, where I talk about the economy, but the way out of this, all this debt uh, and money printing is more money printing and inflation and you inflate away the debt, right? So I'm giving you that background to say bonds, which traditionally were like the pillar of safety in a portfolio to balance out the stocks, bonds are the most risky 
asset class, in my opinion, over the next 10 years. I, I, had, a, I had a client ask me, hey, Philip, what's the asset class that you think is the most risky over the next 10 years? I was like, bonds, easy, easy bonds. Like, I was like, I, if, 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 if somebody said, hey, Philip, here's a, here's a, you got to pick an investment that's going to keep your money safe over the next 10 years and you can't change it, you know, what would you put in that bucket? I was like, it definitely wouldn't be bonds. You know, and they and they were shocked because again, they've already priced a lot to not earn any money, and the odds of interest rates going up because of a lot of money printing and just the the markets finally disciplining these central banks who are printing all this money um, is high over the next ten years, and so so then you think okay, the stocks are also expensive, so so you're like well how do we keep our money safe if they're printing money which means cash is going to be worth less. Stocks are expensive, so they're probably going to be down relative over the next 10 years. Bonds are not safe. How do you keep your money safe? You know, you, you cool part is you don't have to just lock up your money for 10 years and and uh, not do anything. You can you can invest with the with the trend, right? So meaning, right now the trend is 60/40 is okay right now in this current trend because. Interest rates are still relatively low, which means if they get lower, bonds do better. Uh, tech stocks are doing well. U.S. stocks are doing well. And so you don't want to fade the trend, right? But as things change and with the with the market and the quote-unquote seasons change, you know, what is the next season? Or a better way to answer this is, you know, what if you had to pick an investment portfolio and leave it alone for the next 10 years? Right then, for me, that portfolio would be dominated by um, non-U.S. stocks or international stocks, emerging market stocks, commodities, um, gold miners, gold, r- real estate, but real estate that's not very leveraged. But you you want to switch more to commodity-type assets and countries and companies that sell commodities that do well in an inflationary or rising interest rate environment when bonds don't do well, right? Again... If you're too early, because those things are not trending strongly right now outside of gold mining stocks, then you're going to uh, underperform for a while. But if you if you said, hey, let me buy a basket of stuff and leave it alone for the next 10 years, what, what has the highest probability of making money over that period of time? That would be the portfolio. And so what that means is a lot of diversification, right? Less, less bonds than normal, be, be well diversified. And you're trading a big chunk of the bonds that you would normally own for commodity and precious metals. You know, crypt- cryptocurrencies are, are a new asset class too, but specifically Bitcoin because the other ones don't have a limited supply and I don't want to go super nerd on you. So, you know, depending on your sophistication, that may be something that, that, that you look at for, for that part of the portfolio. So diversify, spread your money out and understand what does well when bonds don't do well. And that's what I, that's the portfolio I just gave you. Next question. How to calculate the odds with options. So this is a follow-up from last week's podcast episode where I talked about options. And I wanted to break it up into two... I might even break it up again after this, depending on how deep I go here, but I don't want to overwhelm and nerd out on, on, on one question. But... What I was saying in the last episode was don't mess with options unless you can calculate the odds. So so if, if if you were like, okay, but what if how do I figure out how to calculate the odds, right? It's a lot, and I'm gonna give you a simple version of just 
how I might think about doing it if I were trading an S&P 500, you know, ETF. And so each each asset class really markets have kind of three different trends. You have the long-term trend, right? I'm talking 20-year-plus trend of markets and, you know, and for and for for the S&P 500, the long-term trend is is up, you know, historically. And so you want to know, okay, over a 20-year period of time, 30-year period of time, how often is the S&P 500 if you if you're trading that up? How often is it down, right? Know those know those numbers. So that's one trend, but but if you're buying options, you're not buying most likely you're not buying 20-year options. And so so then you say, okay, the next trend is the intermediate term trend. So intermediate term trend is what we call the business cycle. Typically, every five to seven years, that boom-bust cycle. On average, how much does the S&P 500 earn over that trend from a percentage standpoint? So, you know, is the average return over over the business cycle 100% over that period of time? And and, and, and how long, right? Is it, is it, is it a five-year average? Is it four years on average? Is it seven years on average? So you need to know the return earned and the time frame, which is going to what you're what you're doing is you're I mentioned before thinking like an actuary. So when a insurance company decides whether they're going to write an insurance policy on you, they they know based on your health data and all the data of everybody else they know at the same age and same health when you're likely going to die, and they can write a policy and charge an appropriate premium for that. So you're doing the same thing when you're getting the data on the asset class of. How, how long or what's the duration of that trend on average, looking back as long as you can, and then what's the return over that period of time. So I get you got long-term, you got the business cycle, which is, let's call it, uh, immediate term, and then you got short-term, and that, that might be if you're you know holding asset classes for days to maybe weeks or, or, or maybe months, right? So there's a shorter-term uh, trend, right, which you may say is, kind of day trading, shorter term type trading, but you want to understand what trend am I trading? And then what's the average return over that period of time? And then what's the average period that the trend is is going to look at? And you want want to just know the average. You want to know, like for when I broke it down for the S&P, I looked at, you know, what's the, what's the first quartile return? Meaning, meaning let's say 50% of the time, the S&P 500 might earn 100% over a five-year period of time or in that in that immediate-term trend. But 25% of the time, you know, it earns 200%, right? But 80% of the time, it at least earns 50%, right? And I know I'm going nerd on you, but you want to break it down. I broke it down into quartiles for time and the amount of money made. And so here's how you apply it. So let's say, so let's, let's, let's hypothetically say, you're trading the immediate term trend, and then you know that okay, the S and P 500 normally earns about 100 percent during a market cycle, but now it's it's earned two you know 200 percent, and it did it in a shorter period of time than what it normally does, right? That might be a time where you might want to buy put option on the market because you know the market is heavily oversold, right? You may say, well, man, okay, it it it, it normally averages. Um, a five-year bull market, and we're at year we're at year five, 
but it ran up 200% already, uh, and we're at year five. And so you may say, all right, I'm going to buy a put option, and you got on an option, you got to get a time period right. So you may say, all right, I'm going to buy, I don't, I don't think 12 months from now because we're outside of the time period where the market is, is, is higher than what it should be, and it's already at the normal time period. So I'm going to buy a put option for 12 months out so that so that way I think the market is going to, if it crashes in the next 12 months, like I think it should do, I'll make some money, right? That's an example of how you would use it to buy a put. Or if you're if you're in the beginning of a cycle, so you you also want to study the bear markets, right? So you might say, okay, the average you know bear market for the S and P 500 is let's call it. I'm, and, I'm, and by the way, these are not the real numbers for the S and P 500. I'm giving you examples, but let's say the average bear market is, you know, a 40% dip, right? And it lasts on average for two years. So let's say the market drops 60% and it's been three years. So then you're like, hmm, I think the bear market is dead. And so now I want to buy some call options, betting the market will go up 12 months from now because the odds are in my favor for the market to go up, right? And then if it goes up over that period of time, you know, you make money. By the way, if the put just because the odds are in your favor, like you can you can lose your premium and, and not make any money. The, the point is, if you if you lose money on that option, you might go back in three months and then buy another option for another twelve months, right? So you can kind of layer your options every three months or every month or every six months, however you want to do it, to where you keep placing a bet where the odds are in your favor, and and eventually it's going to pay off and make you a lot of money and pay for the ones that you lost plus some if you do it right. And if the odds work out the way they normally have worked out. And so that's why you want to apply the process of doing options, knowing all the data like your actuary, and then betting accordingly versus just making up stuff based on how you feel. And so I, I hope that helps. I wanted to go real technical because a lot of people think, oh, Philip, you always say don't do this stuff or don't do this, whatever, whatever, because, and they, they might be thinking, because you don't know. No, no, I know. There's a lot of work that goes into it. I just oftentimes don't like to go super nerd because as I'm going there, people are like, man, this is complicated. I don't I don't really want to do this, right? And so I'm like, cool, I'm just going to explain to you how complex it is. And if you want to do it, go, in, go into it. But just understand that if you're going to do it, like do the work. Just don't wing it. That's my two cents on that. This is, this is, this is the end of the podcast tonight. The Houston Rockets start round two of the playoffs. We are playing the Lakers. I'm wearing my Houston Rockets shirt right now. Now, listen, I'm kind of torn because I really want LeBron to end up staying in the GOAT conversation with, with Jordan, and so he can't afford to not win another championship, and he's like, what, 35, 36, so time is going out. So, you know, I want the Rockets to win. I do. I think they're going to win, but... Part of me is like, ah, if they lose to the Lakers and LeBron, I'll be okay with that because I need LeBron to get a win so he can stay in this GOAT conversation. I'm just, you know, and, and plus, I'm a Rockets fan, but I don't, you know, I don't think we have a championship team. I think we need to blow the team up regardless if we win or not and just start back over because this lack of defense is terrible. I just, you know, let's, let's, let's get rid of Harden. Let's start back over. Let's build a real team in the image of the – the, the 1995 team where you got inside-outside game, you got defense, you got some big men that, that can actually hoop. I know the league is different, but these three-pointers, it's just stressful to watch. And I used to jack threes when I played, so I understand, but, like, this is ridiculous. It's kind of it's, uh, stressful. It's not even fun to watch sometimes. 
yeah, y'all enjoy y'all's week. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.